The Oxford Dictionary this week has announced that the word of the year for 2023 is riz, a shortening of the word charisma. Used as both a noun, they have riz, and a verb, to riz someone up, the word was allegedly first used by Twitch streamer Kai Sanat. So to learn more about the evolution of slang words like riz, we asked Dr. Sally Dixon to join us on the airwaves today. Sally's focus is on the intersection of descriptive linguistics, sociolinguistics, and education, and you might have caught her on the recent SciFlix episode about Arrival with colleague Dr. Piers Kelly. So thanks for joining us again today, Sally. Hi, Ash. It's great to be here again. So just for people who don't have the context, what exactly is descriptive linguistics and sociolinguistics? Yeah, okay. So descriptive linguistics would be probably what a lot of people think linguists do. So we make grammars and dictionaries. So we're sort of describing or documenting and understanding different languages and how they work. Um, sociolinguistics then kind of takes that and situates it in the broader social context. So it's, it's a great question to lead into this because we think about, um, okay, we want to write a description of English. First, we have to think about the speech community of, uh, that we, we want to say, okay, we're going to describe your English. But we know that there's going to be variation within the community because there's going to be different, uh, you know, subgroups. Sociolinguists kind of try to ask, well, when there are two ways of saying the same thing, why does one group say one thing and another group say another? Or why do you say one of those things in some context, but the other thing in another context? So this is you can see mm-hmm. where I'm leading into slang here because yeah. we kind of all have the more formal and informal styles within our language use. So a sociolinguist is kind of looking more at variation within a language group, whereas the descriptive linguist is kind of taking more of a view from space and saying, I'm just going to describe the language group. So descriptive linguistics is kind of a, a more separated. Like I mean, you, plenty of us do both. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of these historical differences. But, yeah, you kind of can't do one without the other anyway. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, that's really cool. So are you familiar with the word Riz? I'm so pleased that I, I was because I think like most people, I saw this little video of the actor Tom Holland talk yeah. about um, how he has quote unquote limited Riz. And as someone who identifies as a person with limited Riz myself, <laughs> yeah. I found that quite charming. Um, so I'd heard about it probably only a few months ago, I think, when his little video kind of went around. But no, I hadn't heard of it before that. Has Have people your age, I mean, I've probably got a good 20 years on you, so have people your I, age been using I, it? I'm 26, so not a lot of people in my age. It's more like the you know, the, the teenagers and okay. the early 20s, I think. I was I had no idea yeah. what it was <laughs> when I first heard it. I knew it was related to charisma. I could pick that up from context, but I just didn't get it. Yeah, okay. Uh, kind oh, of thing. Well, that's more than me because I actually didn't realise it came from charisma when I first heard it. So one of the interesting things about um, Riz is that, as we've said, it's been shortened from charisma. But usually when we get words formed through shortenings, which is a very common thing to do in English, the relationship between the unshortened and the shortened version is still very apparent to the speech community. So um, think of university and uni. No one would hear uni and go, huh, what, what's mm. that a shortening for? Whereas I think with charisma, with riz and charisma, it's not so clear. Like, like I said, it wasn't clear to me where the word came from. And I've seen, I've been um, spending a bit of time on the social media websites today and plenty of people are saying, I was today years old when I learned that (laughs) Riz came from charisma. So it strikes me as kind of interesting in that respect because you 
you normally have to, it, it has to work in the moment without someone sort of stopping and saying, by the way, when I say Riz, I mean a charisma, you know. And it's very interesting too. I think it's, you know, it's been popularized online, like things like, what are, what are they saying on TikTok? A fact or cap? I still don't understand what cap properly means other oh, than probably I've never heard of that. <laughs> false. But it's it's really interesting to me how social media and in the internet really affects the language that we use and, and how we share things. It's almost its own dialect these days. Yeah, I think what it does is um, so social media allows people who would traditionally be in isolation from each other to connect, right? But if a word comes up in a particular group, um, like in if say if you are in a sports club or you are in some other kind of interest group club and you have your own little slang in that group, there's historically not been ways for that to get to another group of people across the world. So that's interesting because when we think about those constraints on word transmission, it should be that it's immediately parsable or understandable to someone outside that group. So my understanding of Riz is that it has come very much from sort of one person in his social media following and then it kind of cut through at some point. So you can still see that it relies on that kind of, oh, I need to know from the context what it means and before I can take it forward with me. So I think those factors are all there. I think it's more that social media bridges this geographical distance that we've we've never seen happen before. Yeah, because, you know, in Australia, everyone's very familiar with our very weird slang. You know, I'm going to the bottle o, I'm going to the servo, yeah. things like that. Whereas if we didn't have the internet, we might not have even heard of this, this slang. Yeah, before. exactly. Yeah. And I don't, I mean, I don't think that actually it's more common in North America. I don't know where Kaisenat is from, if where he's from, if it's quite common to just take out the middle of a word. Mm. So um, I guess that's another thing that's sort of unusual is that when we shorten, we tend to leave off the end of a word or leave off the beginning of a word. Whereas here, if you think about it, we've just left with the middle bit of a word. Yeah. Um, so that doesn't happen so often. It, it's happened in English words fridge from refrigerator so we've gotten rid of the r at the yeah. beginning and the t at the end and um, flu from influenza in those cases you can understand it because if you wanted to shorten um, refrigerator you wouldn't short it to r <laughs> you mm. wouldn't short it and the goal is probably to try and get it down to one syllable if possible so the first kind of plausible syllable syllable is fridge and same with uh, influenza you wouldn't have um in and you wouldn't have za and you don't want fluent. So it's yeah. like the most plausible syllable. But the way English words are formed, it's often the big, the first or the last syllable. Is, does I, that correlate with which syllable we put stress on when we speak? Um, possibly. It's it, Because in influenza and refrigerator, we've got these um, bits of uh, language, like with refrigerator, we know that that r can do other things like heat, reheat. Mm. So it's a functional morpheme that we can actually just go and apply to a whole bunch of words. So I, I could say, I didn't like the way this interview went. I want you to re-interview me and quite spontaneously put it on things. And so we wouldn't tend to stress that part of the word. So it's the meaning part of the word that I think tends to get stress. Um, although stress in English is a Probably a bit more chaotic. I mean, if you've actually. ever looked at the words "red" and "read," you're just going <laughs> crazy. Well, they yeah, they have a single syllable, so there's there's no alternative. You have to stress that syllable. 
But stress in English is more complicated than yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, me- I mentioned earlier that riz is a noun and a verb. Is that unusual for words to be both? It's absolutely not for English. This is a huge feature of English and it's really one of probably the most productive ways of getting new words into English. So that might sound confusing because you think, well, if it's already a noun, then it's already a word. What I mean when I say word is a form meaning pairing. So a new word is not just taking a form that already exists, like table, and then turning it into a verb to table something. It's that you've formed a new pairing between a form and a meaning. So that's super common in English. And English is very flexible in that respect because we don't actually have a lot of um, morphology. So we don't have a lot of those little bits um, of grammar, like words like re, for example, um, that occur on verbs. So um, there are plenty of languages that allow um, a noun to become a verb, but you have to put a little bit of grammar on it to show, hey, this used to be a noun and now it's becoming a verb. Um, so you have to sort of do something to it. And there are languages that just don't like that at all. They think up a new word form entirely. So English is very permissive in that respect. So in fact, um, the OED, the Oxford English Dictionary people said one of the reasons why they um, like the word riz is that in such a short space of time, the fact that it's gone from a noun to a verb is really evidence of its increasing prominence. So the fact that it has shifted word classes from a noun to a verb is evidence that it's very much being an English word. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. This one's kind of broader, but, you know, we've, we've spoken a lot about how we interact with language. How do we evolve language by interacting with it? Yeah, so, I mean, this is a great question to use Riz to think about because a lot of people think about, well, what is what is having language allow us to do as a species that other other animal species don't have. And so, you know, thinking about what's the purpose of language, um, we might think, oh, it's it's communicative. Like it allows me to take what's in my head and sort of put it in your head. But really, if you think about it, a huge part of language and certainly some linguists would argue the primary uh, function of language is a social function. So it allows us to what we would use these fancy terms, kind of affiliate and disaffiliate. So say you're my mate and they're not our mates. So there are all sorts of ways that we um, attend to this all the time. So if you think about the way you would greet somebody, that would depend on your relationship to that person. And in making a kind of selection of all the possible greetings you could use, you're kind of talking that relationship into being as well. I'm greeting you with a hey and in doing that, I'm. This is an instance of how we are relating to each other as, as you know, friends or something. And if I say good morning, then that might be, um, yes, you are my boss, but I am further reinforcing that by my choice of greeting. So, in terms of how we would select from a range of options, that's very much conditioned by these social functions, and. To have those options in the first place, we probably had to innovate them. So slang as a kind of or informal language, um, it, it's really a site of productivity of that kind of language that allows us to, f- you know, distinguish between our formal and informal selves. 
and therefore kind of do that work of saying, these are my mates, these are the people that I want to look like and talk like, you know, a bit like fashion, um, do the same things as, and in con- and I can reinforce that by not just having the same things as my friends, but collectively we have different things from other people. So you can see how language kind of does that work as well. So we need to have choices in language in order to be able to do that kind of work. So if you're um, someone who uses riz in your everyday speech, and I am too, and we meet and we notice that about each other, that tells us something about each other that might make us feel closer to each other. Is that kind of how new languages begin as well? You know, a group speaks and uses the same sort of words that are different to this group and they just continue to split off? Yeah, there's not, I mean, there's not really a good evidence of a point in human history where a new language just began. Um, But we could think about how people who speak the same language over time might get separated from each other. And so the way they use language might diverge over time. Um, And then the opposite happens where people who have not been in contact before start to become in contact and influence each other. So Riz is a great example of that where say if, I don't know where this guy's from, Kaisenat, but say he's from Baltimore, um, I would have had no way to on a daily basis interact with someone from or, or witness them using language um, from Baltimore in the fairly recent past. So unlike any other time in history, his speech can influence my speech just you know very seamlessly, very easily. So it can sort of go in both directions. We can um, distance can operate in all sorts of different ways, but and certainly the I guess the neutral way of terming that would be contact induced change. No, that's really interesting because I I think about language a lot. You know, I work at a radio station, yeah. I write, so language is very intrinsic to what I do. So it's interesting to see how differently other people think about language as well. You know, for a lot of younger people language like Riz is it's just fun to play with Mm. you know or it's it's a whole unique way of looking at it that I don't have especially with you know as you're saying this contact with someone from a completely different geographic location Mm. it's it's pretty incredible I think yeah and this you know ability to create new language on the fly is not restricted to young people Mm. although there seems to be a lot of identity formation stuff happening in the teenage years that goes along with a lot of language innovation, particularly of that that performs that kind of social function. But um, our ability to um, create and receive and understand new language stays with us our whole lives. And events like um, the COVID-19 pandemic pandemic gave us a lot of new language in a relatively short space of time and that wasn't slang either so it's not that um sort of in the need for informal language is the only way we the only motivation for generating new language I mean during the pandemic we had new uh expressions like social distancing vaccine mandate um lockdown isolation words that uh, may have existed in the past but acquired new meanings or acquired new connotations um, and they were all in very formal uh, institutional settings that they were generated. So this kind of ability to um, extend the meaning of, of pre-existing word forms, um, create new form meaning pairings from scratch, it's all just falls out from our the kind of 
general creativity that humans have. You know, we as a species, we take raw materials around us and we fashion them into new things. So this is what happens in language as well. At what point does a sound become a real word? You know, there's there's a lot of people out there who go, Riz isn't a real word, it's not in the dictionary. Oh, okay. But we use it. We yeah. we say it. We understand what it means. So at what point is a word considered a real word? Well, from a linguist's point of view, if it's used with the intention of conveying a meaning and that meaning is received by the other person, then it's a word. That's why I was saying before, the meaning has to be recoverable from the context to some extent. So we generally, you know, there are some sort of tried and tried and tested ways of um, developing new words. So a shortening, you know, from, you know, omnibus to bus or refrigerator to fridge is one of those and so as speakers of English we know that that can happen to our language so in a way when you hear a word like riz one of the first things you might do is think wait is that a shortening for something is that an acronym for something Um, so you you have the ability to kind of unpack the pattern as part of what you learn when you're acquiring English yeah a lot of people have this idea about dictionaries that they're kind of the the rule keepers on what is a word and what isn't. But anyone who works making dictionaries, so these are lexicographers, they say, no, please don't think of us as the rule keepers. What we are doing is running around behind people and capturing what they say. So if, if, if language users are using it as a word, then it can be documented in a dictionary. But whether something is a word or not is really up to the speakers. Are they using it to convey a meaning those kinds of things. There was a couple of other, you know, words that were finalists this year. Did you yeah. did you have a favourite one? What's your word um, of the year for 2023? So some of the other finalist words, it, they're a great selection in any, in any case because they show us a range of word formation processes in English. So Swifty will be certainly um, very recognisable to Australians because it's a word formation process that Australians particularly use. So this is uh, shortening a word. Um, and then adding an E or an O to it. So you use the word bodolo before, so you don't need to shorten that word. You just add an O. Mm. Um, mosquito, mozzie, biscuit, bicky. So these are called hypercharistics. They're a, p- a special form of shortening. So Swifty uses that pattern. So that's kind of cool for an Australian <laughs> Which is it's interesting because it, like, it makes Swift longer. It makes Swift longer? It makes Taylor Swift <laughs> shorter, but it makes Swift longer. That's right. So it's not always about um, expediency. <laughs> the other one was um, prompt. So this is a, an example of an existing word just getting a new connotation. So here it was chosen as a word of, for, of the year because of the way it's kind of um, – resurged in resurged is that a word <laughs> i'm pretty sure it is <laughs> had a resurgence in use because of chat yeah. um the other one was situationship so this is interesting because um it's a blend of two words so this is situation and relationship and that's another really common way of forming words in english but the other interesting thing about situationship is it it's very much semantically it's a blend like you know it's a situation relationship right mm. but if you look at the word relationship there's that bit ship on the end of uh, relationship that also appears on words like friendship hardship township lordship so that ship ha- has become like a productive bit of uh, language that you can stick onto something and form a new word as well yeah it's like so, an identifier yeah, yeah. so it it has 
um, that's a different kind of word formation process which we know as affixation. So that's like I was saying before about re, re interview, re interview. So that's taking a little word like an affix, like re, and using it to form a new word. I, I did a trivia question on that once that I had to take out. Um, so, you know, you've got the affix and you've got the, so the prefix, your suffix, but there's also the infix. Yes. And there's only one example of an infix that I'm not allowed to say on the air. <laughs> oh, you can say it's, it. Because it's know, a swear you, word. Can you say bloody? We well, can say bloody, yeah. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I did have a look at some recent entries into the Oxford English Dictionary, and there's a really great um, one that I hadn't heard before, but this is a good example of, you know it when you hear it because it's using a word formation process that you're already familiar with. So the word is toolsy. He's a toolsy player with significant power and speed. So if you decide, describe a, a soccer player as a toolsy player, you're already getting a sense of mm. what that means, right? So it does come from the word tool. So he's got lots of tools in his toolbox so he can do lots of things on the field. And that's using that um, E suffix, you know, that we know from lots of English words. Um sometimes used as a diminutive like um, dog, doggy, but also in that to make a kind of describing word as well. Um, so I thought that was a good example because you kind of you hear it for the first time, but if you know the context, you can kind of go toolsy. That's probably tool plus that Z kind of yeah. ending. Yeah. yeah. It's really interesting that we have such a, almost an intuitive understanding of our own language. Well, this is the thing. Like learning English is not just about learning words, but it's a learning the patterns underneath, not just the formation of new words, but how you can put them together in a sentence. And you asked me um, before about when does a sound become a word. So there are also rules, or, or I prefer the term patterns because it's sort of less scary, but there are patterns um, about the way we can combine sounds in English. Mm. So we, we never have a word um, that has the starts off with t and then s in English, you know, but we have it the other way around. Mm. So even when we're starting to say what, so I could give you um, a, a pattern of sounds and you could tell me whether it sounds like it could be an English word or it sounds like it couldn't be an English word, for example, because you already have internalised patterns at all these different levels. It's very interesting. Thank you for coming in, Sally, and for sharing your thoughts on, on Riz. You know, I, you, you said earlier you think you have limited Riz, but I, I, think you've got, I, think you've got, I think you've got a lot more than you think you do. Sufficient Riz. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for coming in. I, I hope it was fun for you. Yeah, yeah, always a pleasure. And I hope it was really interesting for our listeners. As always, you can stay tuned in on 106.9 Tune FM.